Today's show brought to you by our friends at Adelphi Racing Club. This is a partnership, not a syndicate, and members are treated like partners as opposed to investors. And I can tell you all about it because I'm a member. I'm really enjoying my time with Adelphi, getting to hang out with the team up in Saratoga and looking forward soon to seeing these horses out on the track. If you're interested in joining a group of like-minded individuals and having a truly interactive owner experience, Adelphi might just be the group for you. Matt Kater, unparalleled in his giving information about the horses you're involved in. And the family's getting bigger. Not only was the team active at the recent New York bread sale with a couple of shares left, there's a new exciting acquisition as well. Go to AdelphiRacing.com to learn more, or you can reach out to Matt directly, Matt at AdelphiRacing.com. You can also follow on social on Insta, Adelphi underscore racing, and on Twitter, at Adelphi Club. Hello and welcome to another edition of the In the Money Players podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again. Today is Tuesday, September 20th. We've got a couple of great guests on this show. We're going to kick things off with a trainer who's always great to have on these airwaves. We've talked to him a lot about the work he's done with our founding partners at 10 Strike Racing. Today we're going to talk to him about a whole lot of stuff, uh, including the KTDF and the effect they've had on Kentucky Racing. We thank them and our friends at Churchill Downs for sponsoring today. A little bit later on, we're going to have Nick Tamaro, and we will be going over all manner of stakes races from uh, Toronto and New York and Kentucky over the weekend. You'll want to stay tuned for that as well. We're going to start the show right after this. Just a reminder, the best way to keep up with everything going on on the In The Money Media Network is to subscribe to our free newsletter, inthemoneypodcast.com slash email. First up on the show today, very happy to be joined by a returning guest, trainer Brad Cox. Brad, how are things? Great, Pete. Thanks for having me on. I want to start off asking you about an exciting horse that you sent out this weekend named Loggins. This horse, part of this Colts partnership that I know you've been involved in. This race came back very fast on the clock, looked great to the eye. Curious to know how Loggins came back from the race and what you thought of the effort. It came out of in good order, and I thought it was a big effort. You know, you, 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 we, we obviously like the horse. He's shown us enough in the mornings to like him, and um, you know, he's a very good-looking colt. You never know if they're really going to step up and, and do as well as you think. And I, I think he did exceed expectations a bit, um, which is always a good thing. Um, and, and once again, he came out of it in good order, and I think he has a bright future ahead. He's by Ghost Zapper, and the dam, if I'm remembering this right, was also a horse that you trained. Is that an advantage, you think, when you when you have that type of familiarity with the family? Yes, for sure. And, and um, honestly, um, you know, we, we went into this venture with these Colts last year, and this was the first horse we purchased. And, and I remember uh, looking at the horse. He was uh, bred by P.L. Blake, um, a gentleman from Alabama that I've had horses for. Um, throughout the years and um, we obviously had the mayor the mayor was very very good the mayor we we kept we she did race on the grass um, but when I saw this coat at Saratoga last year there there wasn't a lot of things of looking at physically that made me think that he was a grass horse and um, you know go Zachary can kind of go either way probably a little more dirt 
But I, I just thought from a physical standpoint, he was, he was a really, really good individual and um, looked like a dirt horse to me. You never know. But um, he obviously proved Saturday that he could, could get through the dirt. And um, I thought he was one of the, the, the better horses we saw in our, in our group um, early on last year. And I'm, I'm glad it's worked out so far. Have you given any thought to his, his next stop and or how far he might, might ultimately want to go digging around in the female side of the pedigree? Seems like one for distance uh, might be his friend. I do think he'll stretch, um, you know, as to where we go next. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure right now. Um, just, you know, giving plenty of time to recover from running a big number. Um, it's very possible he could end up in an allowance race next just to kind of, uh, you know, let him progress and, and you know, eventually get around two turns. I, I, I honestly, at this point, Pete, don't know where we'll go, but, uh, you know, happy to report he did come out of good order. Does it create any pressure on you when you're having these runners now go out as part of this Colts venture, given some of the success that uh, similarly themed partnerships have had? Is it any different than just training a horse for one of your loyal uh, longtime owners? Not really. I think the group we've put together, you know, it, Liz Crow and Brad Weisporter, managing managing the owners and, and doing a lot of the legwork in regards to, you know, information and, and detail and videos for the horses or for the, the owners of the horses. And it's worked out really well so far. So I, I don't necessarily feel any pressure with it. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's obviously multiple uh, groups um, out there that are doing this and trying to develop horses um, into colts, into stallions and, you know, I think it's good for the game. It's definitely good for the sales on the sales grounds, uh, just based off what we've seen between Saratoga and Keeneland and the demand for, um, you know, yearling Colts. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's good for the game, good for the business. And, um, you know, hopefully we can, you know, keep it going. This is something we're in the year, we're starting year two right now. Um, and, and that's the one thing I think is probably the toughest part is the patience. That's always, you know, you have you have to give these horses time when they need it, and uh, it's it's something that you know we're still learning on how to manage a, a large group of people and multiple horses, and you know, oftentimes there's one that's doing well and one that's not doing so well. So it, it's it's really just part of uh, a balancing act. The nature of the beast. I will be accused of a host fail. People know how musically inclined I am. I have to ask about uh, Loggins' name. Is he, in fact, named after Kenny Loggins? I'm going to be really honest. I have no clue, and I don't know who named him. (laughs) (laughs) That's very, very funny. All right. More research to be done on that one. I want to talk to you about uh, other unraced two-year-olds that maybe we should have uh, an eye out for. Such strong two-year-old racing coming up um, in Kentucky in particular over the next couple of months. Any in particular we should be looking for? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, we, we have a colt named Gold, Golden Bandits. It's doing pretty well. It's getting close. Probably debut at Keeneland. Um, he, he seems like he's a nice colt. Um, a feeling methodology that's getting close um or no i'm not she's not getting close she's actually in this week at churchill for good off and it's a half to matter race she's in oklahoma i do think there's a little bit more route pedig stamina with her than say Mataraya. but uh you know we, we've got several that are they're getting close um and should debut here at the end of churchill or the first part of keeneland i think will make a good uh, good account of themselves 
one more debutante I have to ask you about selfishly. I'm not even sure if you're, you're aware of the name and where it came from for Looms Boldly, who I hear a rumor this New York bread <laughs> might be debuting soon, who's actually named after me. I have to ask, how's Looms Boldly doing? What can we? I know the family, they typically improve with, with, with a race or two, but how's he been doing? He's doing really well. He's really uh, had a good gate move this past weekend on the training track there at Belmont. He's pretty much ready to go. I have a race mark for him next week um, at um, or, well, the races at Aqueduct. But, um, yeah, he's doing well. He's uh, one that's, uh, you know, he's a, he's a hefty colt that's taken some time. He's always carried a lot of flesh. And, uh, you know, he may be one that needs a race. But I do think he's training well enough to where he, sh- he should perform well first time out. Carries a lot of flesh. Maybe he takes after the guy that he's named after. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I may be harassing you. I may be dropping by um, when that aqueduct race uh, comes up. So this segment, Brad, it's sponsored by the KTDF and the Kentucky uh, Thoroughbred Development Fund. And there's some other interesting news on the Kentucky circuit recently with, with Churchill buying Ellis. I'm wondering if Kentucky might be turning into even more of a, a year-round circuit than, than it already is. I wanted to ask you about that idea and also just the effect that the KTDF has on Kentucky racing in general. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, Kentucky, the racing here is healthy enough year-round where you can make a good living with some, you know, with, with a stable for a trainer and owner. Um, it, it's it's definitely definitely a great state to race in, and obviously the KDTF is plays a huge role in that. I mean, all you have to do is open a condition book at, at Keeneland or Churchill and, and just look um, at the, the purse money that that's included. I mean, for example, a maiden race at Keeneland would run for um, 100000 and 33000 of that's from the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. So, you know, that that's huge. I mean, that's, that's one-third of the purse, and um, it, it definitely allows us to uh, – really run for the best purses in America by far. Um, it's really not even a contest anymore as to where the money's at in America and racing. And, uh, you know, I'm just proud to be, be a part of it. And this is home base for us. So it means a tremendous amount to us. It allows us to, for me to be home it's where I'm from. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's huge for, um, the horses, the owners, and, and keeping this thing going. With the Breeders' Cup in your Kentucky backyard this year, curious to get an early uh, perspective on uh, a horse or two you're in particular looking forward to running at the big event. Obviously, Cyberknife, he's in Saturday at Parks. I mean, I, I, we're going to see how that works out, and that'll probably have a little bit of it. Or we'll have an you know, indication as to where we, we go, whether it's the classic, the mile, or, or where we end up. Um, you know, we're trying to get She Dares the Devil back to the distaff. We'll see how that goes. And, you know, I'm hoping some of these heroes jump up over the next uh, couple of weeks and can kind of show that they're worthy of an opportunity in the Breeders' Cup. So, uh, you know, I wish we had a, maybe a few more, but we might be a little bit lighter than we have been the last two years. But anyhow, you know, we'll play the hammer dealt and hopefully see how it works out over the next few weeks. I wanted to ask specifically about Jace's Road. I thought in a, in a subtle way, super impressive race to be the best of speed against those two super duper well fancy two-year-olds in uh in in damon's mound and and echo again and to stick on pretty well there for third what what do you think of, of him as a colt i think he's a very nice horse i thought the race the other day was a little odd to watch visually they had a kind of a hard time um figuring it out i mean like you said he was up close to the pace or was on the pace 
um, and, and tracked uh, Damon's Mound and, and uh, you know, at half mile point, he kind of backed out of it a little bit. Or actually, they went on with it, or however you want to say it or see it. And uh, it was it was a little odd. I thought we were kind of going the right, wrong way at the three eighths pole, and then he re rallied. So he showed that you know, think he's going to have no problem with the distance. Um, he's just a young horse figuring it out. And I think it, overall, it was a really good race. Um, I'm not sure where we'll land. We may look at the street since with him, the end of October. Um, at Churchill or um, you know listen I'm not completely throwing out the breeder stuff we'll see how some of these other coach run uh, in the races in California the breeders fraturity and the, the champagne and you know I wouldn't completely rule out the breeders cup so well uh, we'll see how things play out yeah, it was an interestingly run race that that's for sure mm-hmm. but that definitely struck me when you see where the other pace horses early finished and, and where he finished I, I thought that was a I thought that was him stepping up and saying hey I've got some ability here I wanted to ask right. a, lar- a larger question about your your operation you know you spread out you've got so many horses I wanted to hear just a little bit about your organization and and from a management perspective how you you, you keep everything together and I mean I think of it as an all-star group of assistants um, with uh, Tessa Bishop at, at, at Ellis Park and Ricky Giannini in Indiana and Jorge Abrego who's been with me for several several years he's here at Churchill and holds things down uh Dustin Dugas is at at uh Belmont and all these guys have been with us for a long long time um and it's just you know a good group of guys that are really just ultimately very good horsemen that we I get along with extremely well and we do our daily charts and you know once again I mean I don't like to hear bad news or issues with horses but there's issues with horses you got a lot of horses you're gonna have a lot of issues um and you know hopefully our, our goal is to jump on these things before they become major issues. And, and, um, you know, I, I could just, I just know that, you know, we have a great group of assistants in place. And I think that's really what leads to us having success in the afternoons. Um, and, and once again, they're just great horsemen that they're able to jump on top of these things before they jump on top of us. Great stuff, Brad, really appreciate your time today. And hopefully we'll get a chance to hang out in the near future. Sounds good, Pete. Thanks for having me on and have a good day. Today's show also brought to you by the Caesars Trotting Classic. Guests can enjoy the very best the sport has to offer on Friday, September 23rd. That's this Friday with an estimated $1.4 million in purses in Grand Circuit action on the card highlighted by the fifth edition of $200,000 Caesars Trotting Classic. Witness the world's fastest standard bread as Bulldog Hanover makes his highly anticipated return to Harris Hoosier Park for the first time since his Dan Patch victory in the $175,000 Harris Hoosier Park Pacing Derby. In addition to the Grand Circuit Racing action, guests can enjoy handicapping contests, cash giveaways, food trucks, family fun entertainment, and more as part of Harris Hoosier Park's Community Night at the Races during the Caesars Trotting Classic card. For more information, go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash Caesars. That's in the moneypodcast.com slash Caesars. Next up on the show, very happy to welcome back the man who's been our primary recapper along with me for the last couple of months. Always interested in what he has to say about uh, opinions about racing, speed figures, things like that. You've read his work over at in the moneypodcast.com and you've heard him on the late week shows mainly talking about the recently concluded Monmouth meet. I'm speaking, of course, about Nick Tamaro. Nick, how was your weekend? Hey Pete, it was good. It was uh, you know nice to see some racing back in New York and Belmont at the Big A action. So yeah, it's good to good to see us moving on that path towards the Breeders' Cup. 
So you've adopted the new name now, Belmont at the Big A. I thought your your Royal Aqueduct name never seemed more appropriate than when Frankie was doing the flying dismount the other day. That's a fact. It is truly the royal <laughs> royal meat that that you could possibly have, right? I, I was actually trying to look up who the last horse Frankie Dettori rode at Aqueduct was, but Aquabase only keeps data going to ninety one. So apparently, was it ninety two that was the last time he was here? Uh, at at that's entirely possible. I would have said ninety is what somebody said. So I don't. Yeah, I'd have to look. If you asked me what his last winner at Aqueduct was, the first thing I would have done was pull up Breeders' Cup charts from from Aqueduct. Um, but there, Did, but there may have was been he riding other that occasions. far back. Eighty four. No, that would have been before him. It's, but wasn't there? Was there only the one at Aqueduct, or was there another? That's you know, I came in mid nineties, and I'm not as good about the first ten years of Breeders' Cup. Me, me too. Admittedly, I mean, the first Breeders' Cup that I really identify with was the '93 Santa Anita. So um, I want to say there was one at Aqueduct, and then the rest of them in New York afterwards were all at Belmont. There was the Belmont where Unbridled won the Classic, where. Uh, Dejour jumped the, uh, the, the Gopher Wand Breeders' Cup, and I think that was 88, if that I sounds right. correctly. Because um, 89, of course, was at Gulfstream. Um, so, yeah, just the one Breeders' Cup at Aqueduct, which I believe was The Tory in... would have been 13. He he started as an apprentice for Luca in uh, in 87 at 16. So yeah, okay. he was he would not have had a winner there then. So, but it's interesting. I mean, I we'll, we'll have to we'll have to do some digging on that and figure out what his history at Aqueduct was. But we'll get to that race um, of him winning over the weekend. We'll get we'll get there when we get there. But I think we got a lead with uh, the Grade One action that I was lucky enough to be present for up at uh, up at Woodbine. It's interesting. We were talking about this off air a little bit. We do not have the time form information yet and it's tuesday which is a long gap which suggests that i don't know i don't know if craig and or his assistant have uh, been on vacation or if there's something tricky about these numbers um what's your best guess uh combination of both i i might inquire with craig shortly and see what uh what he has going on but um i'm sure they'll be up today usually it's about a two-day turnaround so this is a little longer than normal I'm sure there's some rational explanation or something that Craig can come up with that's clever. Because it's an interesting one to me in particular because the buyer figures, well, you know, I certainly certainly buy them. They seem like ones, they're high enough for the Mysterious Night win and for the Modern Games win that you'd certainly want to see them, you know, trust but verify situation as far as the buyers go with these numbers. Let's start off with Modern Games. This race, uh, you know, the guys, uh, Stephen Bonnick and Rob Dove, one of the top ten Pro punters in the UK today estimated that his recent runs had been, you know, around what the equivalent of about a 101 buyer. It looked like he stepped up visually, getting uh, through and blowing that field away through what was kind of a roughly run race, I thought. Um, it, and, and the figure certainly suggested with that 112 buyer. Uh, suggesting that this is a horse that could be even money, if not shorter, for a race like the Breeders' Cup Mile, of course, depending on homeless songs and others who might come over. But, I mean, Modern Games, at the very least, stamped himself as a major contender for that one. What did you think of this effort? Yeah, no question about it. I mean, look, we don't see running lines like his last over here very often, and I'm referencing that runner-up finish behind Baid. So I think knowing that, you were expecting a pretty strong performance 
Um, this is a horse who I think has moved forward nicely as a three-year-old. I think Appleby really not only knows exactly what type of horse suits American racing, I think everybody in his yard suits American racing, quite honestly. But I think one of the things about modern games that he's been uh, he's been particularly astute with is recognizing his distance limit limitations. So the fact that he's kept him short, I think, shows that that he knows really what uh, what the Colt can do best. And yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll be a he should be a pretty solid favorite to make it two straight Breeders' Cup miles for Charlie Appleby, who just continues this unbelievable run in North America, going back now about a, a year and a half. It's been uh, it's been incredible to see, and, and pretty much every move he's made has been the right one. The North American record is spectacular. The Woodbine record is something out of fiction <laughs> seven for his last nine up there and that buyer speed figure for those wondering the best turf buyer speed figure of the year and one that you know would stack up extremely well anywhere uh the 112 in that race uh any other thoughts on on the mile any horses you were looking to take out i mean it was such a it was such a one horse race i do believe ivar ran his race it was interesting to see him get a near career best 103 figure for that effort you know i buy it i I buy the idea that he just ran his race in modern games was just that much better on the day and that under normal circumstances in a you know this i think we could certainly consider a grade one plus with modern games signed on and ivar for normal north american turf racing clearly a grade one horse but just curious if there was anybody you wanted to talk about out of the body of the field no, I mean, it's good to see Ivar seemingly back in one piece, right? He's a horse that's had some some difficulty getting to the races, and, and I thought he ran his race. Um, I was a little surprised that Paulo Lobo was running him here instead of Keeneland in the Coolmore Turf Mile. Maybe he has designs on running him in both, but that'd be a little surprising given the way he's been campaigned over the last couple of years. You know, I think he just had the misfortune of running into a significantly better horse, and you know, I think that everybody will kind of have that problem when it comes to Breeders' Cup time, and you know, we'll we'll learn again that a horse like Modern Games, who's been facing Baid and, and some of the other horses that he has running exclusively in Group One races overseas, he's just better than, than these horses. And uh, I, I imagine he'll assert himself again next year. I thought the one thing I definitely want to shout out is I thought it was a tremendous race call by Robert Geller to include in there that <laughs> uh, that you can cash your ticket today. I thought. Was- <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. You get yeah. paid this time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I love that. And Robert, I mean, he does a great job at his race calls anyway. But horse players, I think in particular, we always appreciate when we're getting a when we're getting a, a shout out to just refer to him as. Look, I'm not going to criticize any broadcaster who, in a passing comment, just refers to him as the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf winner. But it's nice to have the more complicated nature of the situation addressed. And Geller did a fantastic job doing that in commentary. Very, 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 very cheeky. I owe him a high five. No doubt about it. One of the best uh, race callers that we have here and one of the best in the world with his past experience. And he certainly showed it with that. Let's talk about the summer for a minute. Mysterious night getting the win for Appleby, another horse that has a chance to go to the Breeders' Cup with uh, – you know, a, a, a star next to his name as as the favorite, I think, after this. An 85 buyer speed figure is not too far away from what it often takes to win a race like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. How good did you think this one was? How serious of a contender for that big prize do you think he is? I mean, he looks awfully solid, no doubt about it. And I think uh, we'll loom one of the, the main contenders. You know, by this point last year, we had a couple of domestic horses that had run particularly well 
um, in, in Annapolis and portfolio company. And they came back and hooked up in the Pilgrim and ran uh, earned buyer speed figures in the high 80s, which really put them in range to be considered contenders for it. We've not seen anybody step up that much. I mean, let's not forget the with anticipation was won by a, a, a 30 to one shot, 21 yep. shot or something, Bapio. So uh, until further notice, it's mysterious night race to lose. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what else comes over. I mean, this could be one. I mean, it feels like a year that could have that Euro one, two, three potential, depending on what uh, depending on what happens. But also we have another round of preps and some domestic horses who could certainly who could certainly step up. I picked and a a guy made fun of me when I was hanging around the paddock um, uh, on uh, at Woodbine on Sunday. Somebody made fun of me for picking Sammy Stone in the race. And, you know, obviously it's not a pick where I covered myself in glory, but I would just like to acknowledge, and you know, this is maybe something that you could guess would have happened with a with a maiden going into a, a grade one, but I mean, this was just a ridiculous trip that didn't have anything to do with what Sammy Stone's ultimate ability will be. This was obviously too much too soon, but I, I, I'm just gonna, I'll just defend myself in saying, hey, when you're betting horses at 20 to one, you know, you're going to see some, uh, you, you'll tend to see some silly things. And this is a horse that overseas was closer to 50 to one for the folks that, uh, you know, were reading my at the races.com column. You know, it's just one of those races where uh, for me, it's basically a, just a straight up a draw a line through it. But, you know, Mysterious Night really turned this into a one horse race. Any thoughts on any of the others in here? Yeah, I mean, he didn't give him much chance. Um, looked on paper like he'd be pretty tough to handle and certainly played out that way. I mean, once William Buick got him into the pocket and he was relaxing, it was pretty much all over. Um, appraise, I thought, ran credibly. I don't know exactly what distance Appraise wants, ideally. He's a horse who broke his maiden in surprising fashion on debut at, at uh, Saratoga and seemed to go on with a, a decent enough performance sprinting, but now handled that at ground without issue. He didn't really run speed figure-wise any better than he had in his two starts at Saratoga, whereas Mysterious Knight just sort of ran off the screen from everybody else. You know, the only, and we'll talk about one more Charlie Appleby horse before we're all done on, on this particular program, but one of the things that I, the only thing I wonder about is that Charlie Appleby has dominated races in America, North America, primarily run over fast ground. And I wonder if he has identified who his really, his best fast ground American style horses are. And and that included Delmar last year, where you knew you were going to get very fast ground, but we're not going to in November at Keeneland. So that's the only thing to keep in mind. It might be a little bit of a reach. It might not even be something that you can can convert into a a real opinion. But, and and I'm going to say this when we talk about, I'll really expound on it a little bit more when we talk about Nation's Pride. So, you know, that's one of the things, I mean, Mysterious Knight and and uh, Modern Games both won these races like, I mean, they probably could have been running in a swamp and they would have won. So, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter terribly much, but he's just, you know, the majority of the horses that he seems to run over here right now just seem like they're in a different, they're just in a different world. Modern games in particular, though, does seem like one for whom firm ground is the friend. And that is a reason to not get stuck in at too short of a price, certainly in the anti-post market. I mean, he's a seemingly tantalizing two to one right now, modern games for the mile. But without knowing the ground and without knowing who's going to turn up, maybe that's just the right price. I, you know, it's not I, it might be a mild buy for me or, or a hold. It certainly wouldn't be a sell. But it, that is something really important to consider. Interestingly, though. 
the main rival they seem to be talking about, Homeless Songs, to come over for the mile right now. Also one who probably wouldn't want too much cut in the ground. So I wonder, I mean, there's some world in which those two come over or bet off the boards. And maybe there's some other um, presumable, presumably Euro, but not necessarily some other horse that, you know, we, we end up getting one of these boil over miles where you can find something at like a truly wild price because you've got famous horses at the top of the market making the market and maybe conditions won't suit them. I mean, I'm, I certainly am I'm interested in that idea. And the mile this year, maybe more than some others is could prove. And I guess it also depends on exactly where they place it in the card. But it's going to be, and we talked about this with Matt on Horse Player Happy Hour, a really interesting year for the Breeders' Cup betting challenge and the implications that having a legit two to five shot in the classic have. It could come down to who's clever enough to take a, a, a shot at a double digit horse in a race like the mile if it's going to if this card's going to chalk out late i mean i know it's early i don't know if you'll be playing in the in the bcbc or not nick but have you given any thought to how flight line specifically could increase the importance in the bcbc of races like the mile and the turf yeah you know i i i like the way that flight line could affect the breeders cup classic because I'm comfortable betting him with maybe a clever horse or two underneath. And, and that is the, I mean, if you remember back to the, uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic in 2015, won by American Pharaoh, I know that uh, the, the runner-up, who, whose name escapes me at the moment, but very nice guys from Detroit, he was sitting in the green room with us, and he had a huge exacta of uh, American Pharaoh over FNX. And then he had a, tri- a straight try with Honor Code in third. And so, you know, here was a, a great opportunity for you to take what a lot of people identified as a, a pretty likely winner and pair him up with a decent price in the exotics and, you know, and get the job done. And so the the variability in how the public or how the, the contest players handle a heavy favorite in a live money tournament is interesting because you're going to have the, you know, the dyed in the wool anti-favorite players that just don't use them, period. And then you're going to have some of the people that find a way to get around them very cleverly. I mean, let's not forget that our friends Marshall Graham and Jonathan Kinchin finished 1-2 in 2020 and each went all in on Monomoy Girl. Right. right. And so this is just something that most contest players would, it's still, even saying it makes my skin crawl because I would just never, <laughs> ever, ever do something like that. I mean, first of all, I didn't really particularly love Monomoy Girl and I would never bet all my money to win on her, which wasn't even a winning move at the time. But obviously it worked out very well for them and I commend both of them for doing so. But um, yeah, I think it could make for, obviously they're going to separate the mile and the, and the classic on the card probably as much as possible if, it, if we're looking at two very short priced favorites, but it is definitely going to put a premium. And the other thing is that the turf races have generally been the more competitive races, but it's going to put a premium on, you know, a race like the Distaff, which, you know, if the Distaff has Clarier and Malathod and search results and Nest, you know, that looks like a very, very competitive race. So, I mean, we could end up seeing the Distaff wedged back there shortly in front of the Classic too. It is a good point, though, that just because you have a two to five favorite doesn't mean you can't make a major move if you're willing to fire a lot of money and just look to cold cock a couple of different try combinations. And that's a great point. We'd be remembering this very differently if and I'm 
mad at myself too that I can't remember who ran second in, in 2015 to Tommy Massis. But that was nearly the winning move with the, you know, that was a giant play. And if not for Tommy going famously going back to the window to put a little bit extra down on that found golden horn exacta, that would be the winning move. And maybe we wouldn't be so uh, concerned about how having a big favorite in the classic is going to affect things. Anyway, loads of time to talk about that before we get there, but um, you know, always fun. And I will, I will put in one quick plug for folks looking to play in the Breeders' Cup betting challenge who haven't yet. We've still got um, some regular season left in Horse Players Happy Hour which gives you, at this point, if you're just starting, you're not going to be able to win the tour. But you still have an extremely realistic chance to qualify for our playoffs and or qualify the traditional route by winning your way into the qualifier at the weekend. Just cost 20 bucks to play. Matt and I will be doing our live stream on Thursday. We're going to be doing an all Belmont at Aqueduct. I almost screwed up and said Belmont, but then I realized that's sort of the beauty for a commentator. You could say Belmont wrong and then just add the at Aqueduct and you're right back on track. Going to be doing all Belmont at Aqueduct card on Thursday. Go to horseplayers.com and sign up and join us for that. Before we leave Toronto, we have another race to talk about, though, and it's the other grade one on the day, the Natalma. This one was won in surprising, at least to me, fashion by last call. I was, <laughs> I would have had a, I wonder what it would have paid. I would have had a, had, had either the second or the third won this race, Nick. I would have had a $25 pick five, which uh, I think would have been okay. Um, but uh, last call had other ideas. The, this one getting the job done at, at twenty-one to one, longest shot on the board, earning a, a seventy-nine buyer speed figure. Big step up from last call in this spot, and uh, another winner for the impressive combination of Kevin Attard and uh, Rafael Hernandez, and uh, more success for X Men Racing as well. Donato Lani's uh, outfit up there. Um, this was a surprise, but one after the fact that I was just kind of mad at myself that I didn't, in a race that could have fallen to chaos, have some sort of $1 all saver in. What, what did you make of the Natalma? Well, it, you know, it didn't have an Appleby entrance, so it looked as if it was probably a bit more wide open. Um, and so, I, you know, I wouldn't have envisioned Last Call being a, a particularly serious win candidate beforehand. I know that she had gotten a little headstrong in her race before and the blinkers coming off likely was going to relax her a tad. It's actually a very strong angle for the barn. So I think after the fact, you can certainly put the pieces together. But, um, you know, the story of this race was that G. Laurie was was really kind of over bad. And, and you knew it was going to happen. I mean, the morning line was not was not going to come through at, at four to one. This horse was going to get significantly more support than that. So it's it's no no surprise. She ended up going off. Well, she ended up going off three to one. So in fairness, it wasn't like it was that bad. But Cairo Consort went off eight to five. It was a total collapse race, which in terms of the clock seemed very surprising because they really weren't going that fast. The pace came apart. The old you know one two three four ended up five six seven eight. And last call was really in line to, to benefit from it, making that big, strong move. Um, congrats to her and the connections. Can't imagine any of these horses will be serious Breeders' Cup contenders. Yeah, it just looked like last call got the drop. Cairo Consort just got going very, very late. And it was one of those where you could, you know, as someone who as someone who bet, I didn't even get a route, you know, like even though on paper it looks like you would have had a route. You could always you could always from my perspective with my bet, I could see the car wreck happening and there was nothing I could do to stop it. At that point, I had uh, I, uh, yeah, the bird, the bird had flown. Uh, congrats if you were clever enough to come up with last call um there how did how did your betting work out at, at at woodbine did you find yourself getting involved or were you more just observing 
I've watched, um, you know, I probably would have just played a straight try in the Woodbine Mile of, of uh, 5-4-2 and 5-2-4. So I, I didn't I didn't end up getting involved and um, was kind of just focusing on, on Aqueduct, Royal Aqueduct. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I was actually trying to look up and see what your will pay was with the, with the pick five ending in the Natalma. But the uh, the twenty cent pick three with Cairo Consort was two dollars and ninety three cents. Yeah, but, there was one other race that um, it it the, the the well what ended up being the last race because of that scary incident with right, the with the state right. vet, which actually ended up being a happy ending. The the, the fellow was okay, but it I, I had to sweat one more leg. But of course, it was one of those like thumbs in the eye when I saw my A plus my pressed A plus win the last race as well. You well, know, that was, was certainty. Right. I mean, yeah. that was a lot. <laughs> you that knew that at that point. Yeah, you knew as long as I didn't go back and, and bet an obscene amount on that horse on top of it. You knew you knew um, Louisiana. What was the horse called? Something like Lady Louisiana. Louis. Yeah. 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 You knew that horse was going to win at that point if you were me. But it, it uh, what did that do you have that chart in front of you? Well, I'm curious what it, what it paid with the. I mean, obviously, there's no real relation with that that big bomb winning. I mean, that's obviously going to be a much, much, much higher number than it would have been. But I'm, I'm just uh, curious what the pick five paid. 20 cents to Big Van Luzian paid $164. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so, I, yeah. I mean, if, if it had paid tw- 15 bucks to to Cairo Consort, I mean, you'd have that, what, 75, 20, 20, I mean, five hundred. 125 times right yeah it wouldn't have been bad it wouldn't have been bad i i, I probably just would have blown it on you know uh, uh canadian whiskey and with with uh, i actually socially it was it, as as upset normally you know i would have steamed for a minute after that beat but i actually i ended up going back to the table in that that i forget what they call it it's not maybe it's called the woodbine club on the fourth floor there in the back where tommy massis and all the big Canadian tournament players right. said, and at the table were Matt Bernier, Tommy, and Tony Joe. So I just went right into like super fun socializing mode. It, it always it helps make the beats go down when you uh, when you have such a fun crew to hang out with. And I'll take this opportunity to just shout out the team at, at Woodbine. Incredible hospitality all weekend from uh, Lindsey Bax and uh, Klaus, and and uh, I, I got to run into Jamie Dykstra up there. I didn't actually – I was looking forward to meeting Jim Lawson in the flesh. We've done so many interviews um, in the last few years, but we not, never have actually um, met in person, and I, and I missed him, though we had some fun interactions on social media. But Woodbine, they do a great job hosting their big day, and I have this sneaky plan. We'll see. I'll run it up the flagpole and see if anybody salutes. But it would be fun now that, you know, pandemic has gone to endemic to maybe be able to get another Woodbine Mile Day contest up there. Do you, I don't feel like you ever were able to, to get away to play in one of those. I feel like when you and I hung out at Woodbine, it was for the Queen's Plate. No, I actually went to the uh, Woodbine Mile in 2018. That's my only Woodbine trip. Oh, oh, I so did, you were I, there for the, mile. the contest. Yeah, the, uh, the one that Oscar performance wired and. Yeah, the hospitality was incredible. I flew up on Friday morning, and uh, Pat Cummings came with me, and we hung out with Tommy on Friday. And then Saturday, we uh, we were in the contest room. That, that that everything was great. I mean, Woodbine is a phenomenal facility, and uh, the sight lines are unbelievable wherever you're watching live racing from. I thought that new Stella Artois lounge patio type thing that they put pictures of on Twitter looked really it's really cool. amazing, and looks like a you know a great modern addition to to the, uh, you know, to the live viewing experience. So yeah, can't recommend uh, Woodbine strongly enough. And those of you out there who are paper DRF devotees, they have the big paper in yep. Canada. 
They still do. It's right? amazing. Oh yeah, no, they do. And I was absolutely getting uh, all the feels holding it. It just, it, you know, everything I do now is so digital and, and clicking on things. But like, there was something. It gave me that same warm and fuzzy feeling I get when I put like a favorite record on the turntable. You know, just like the tactile experience that that brought me back when I was holding the big, uh, holding the big form. And you're absolutely right about the patio. That that was. Uh, very very fun was there with Lindsay and klaus and and um you know several others kate and bradar um chili who was working with kate and uh, on the on the tvg side we we all got a, we had a great opportunity to hang out and just enjoy a day's racing and it was really fun just you know like going just breaking down the form with 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 kate and came up with a couple of a uh, couple of nice winners and a couple of fun exactos and I, i'm remiss in not also giving a, a nice shout out to jeff bratt with whom i shared airwaves on both friday and Sunday, and he's just—he's a tremendous host. It's just he makes it very, very easy on the guests. It's—it's it's my goal to make any guest on this show feel as good as Jeff made me feel sitting in that chair as we were uh, go- going over the form. Anyway, phenomenal weekend at Woodbine. I highly recommend folks look to to get up there, whether it's the rest of this season or you know start looking at. Well, soon we'll know when the Queen's Plate is going to be next year, and we can circle that on our calendar. But Woodbine Mile—that's a great weekend to go up major. Readers' Cup uh, applications, uh, implications year in, year out. Let's take a break, Nick, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the place where you were spending most of your uh, handicapping energy, Belmont at the Big A. We'll be back right after this. Fixed Odds Betting, powered by Betmakers, is backed and in effect in New Jersey. Early returns are fantastic. At the recently concluded Monmouth Park meet, 70% of winners paid more on fixed odds than they did on the tote. Fixed odds wagering is now available throughout the state. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to hear a lot more about fixed odds betting opportunities coming right up with this all-turf Meadowlands, Monmouth at the Meadowlands meet starting this weekend. You're going to be hearing about them all across the In the Money Media Network. Keep it locked. And thanks to our friends at BetMakers. Okay, Nick, we move on to the next portion of the show shall we start with the jockey club oaks sure McCulloch. Turning point. yeah getting the getting the win here um very very interesting uh run through visually from McCulloch. this was time form us red coding throughout came back 116 on their scale so a little bit faster than the 93 fire speed figure but still a nice uh a nice a nice race uh, all the way throughout toscana bell actually got the, a higher time form us figure than uh than McCulloch did with the with the pace adjustment in this spot give me your impressions of the jockey club oaks yeah you know i think toscana bell ended up kind of in the unenviable position of of riding shotgun to beside herself who had just wired a, a field of older horses at saratoga and i think that uh, that that frankie was particularly concerned about her getting away and, and I think it was the right move by Toscana Bell's connections, because if you were going to roll the dice in this scenario, to me, what you were supposed to roll the dice on was that if I get to jump on McCulloch, we'll probably outlast her because her uh, sort of her chink in the armor could be that could be distance. And so I think Frankie waited as long as possible to really ask Toscana Bell to take on beside herself. And by the time he did that, McCulloch had already made her move. And really, Toscana Bell fought her all the way to the wire. It looked a couple of times like like she could come back and get her. And um, and she, but she ended up battling all the way and 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 checked in second in what was hardly a you know a poor performance by any means. 
I'm a little surprised McCulloch was able to go the mile and three eighths without issue. Chad Brown's second straight. Jockey Club Oaks Invitational, no surprise. Um, and and she ends up taking two legs of this uh, turf triple series. Uh, so you know that it was these are not Breeders' Cup horses, not uh, to me, um, not at a mile and three sixteenths, and probably not against older fillies. But I mean, you would imagine, and they've always liked McCulloch. You would imagine that she has every right to be a a really nice older filly next year. And you know, I would expect her to probably be on that that warlike goddess type path next year where she's probably going, you know, anywhere from the mile and a 16th of the Jenny Wiley up to the mile and three eighths of the flower bowl. And she nearly won all three of these races. I'm remembering only with the moonlight standing in her way on figures though, absolutely has, has a bunch to find. Were you surprised given the distance questions that the market came for her as hard as they did backing her into four to five? Or do you think that was just a, a basically a function of the Chad Brown factor slash the rest of the field? Yeah, I think, I think more so the latter. Um, I think it was Chad and Irad and the fact that her form really all in all had been pretty good. The, this was not a particularly sexy international invader either. I mean, we're talking about a German, you know, an Andreas Wohler rather than a, you know, Andre Fab or, or, or Gosden or Appleby. And so I think that probably she wasn't quite as embraceable and, you know, the balance of the field was, was pretty much made up of outsiders. So I think that probably is what ultimately led everybody that direction. It, it, it doesn't take the public much right now to really, fall for Chad and Irad. And, and look, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they win a lot. So, yeah. Toscana was bet at two, at two to one. Very much. Was, so. You know, two, yeah. Yeah. Two forty. It's yeah. they, they, they came for her probably as much as they, they could. And then beside herself, the only other horse that, uh, that took money for, for Todd Pletcher off that nice allowance win at, at Saratoga. Did, did you see any excuses for her? No, I, I think she's probably just a cut below these at, at, at you know, at graded stake form. Um, there's always going to be a place for a speedy front end type filly going long on the grass in America. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if she has another opportunity in the future. But um, yeah, I think this was probably just a little more than she could handle. She was coming back relatively quickly too. It was about a little over three weeks since her win on uh, on Travers Week at Saratoga. But um you know, no, no shame, I think, in, in finishing fourth behind a horse like McCulloch in a fast-paced race. So, Yeah, I'd, I'd give her a break, I think, based on, you know, she was hounded by a German Oaks winner. It's not like Toscana Bell is, you know, no, nobody. And uh, the, that finishing position could not be reflective in the normal pace. And what I mean by that is the, the typically slow-paced, longer uh, grass race in, in New York. So maybe one to keep on side in the, certainly one to evaluate very early on whenever she turns up next to see, Hey, how, what's the lead situation going to be for this one? Let's talk jockey club derby nation's pride, getting the job done. Once again, the aforementioned Detori winner for Appleby. This one came back a 96, uh, on the buyer scale, 123 raw time form, U.S. So a little bit, but, you know, still significantly faster than the buyer came back. What did you think of Nation's Pride? Where does he go from here? Give me your impressions of this race. Yeah, I mean, he was very impressive, no doubt about it. He was uh, he was sharp the whole way. And, and, you know, one of the things that that Frankie said afterwards to uh, to Acacia Clement was that he was a little concerned about Classic Causeway getting away and was very pleased to see Daunt. Um, really stalk classic causeway pretty aggressively 
And and that, I mean, that made Nation's Pride a very, very likely winner. Frankie worked him over into a comfortable spot on the rail just behind the lead. And and when he switched out, I mean, he had more than, than necessary to win the race. Um, quite honestly, this horse should have won the turf triple by all three very easily. He just had a little little bit of misfortune in the Belmont Derby, but really asserted himself at Saratoga and Aqueduct to uh, to prove that he's you know the best three year old turf horse that's run in North America. Um, interestingly, I was just reading this morning actually that Charlie Appleby has said that Rebels Romance will be his Breeders' Cup turf hopeful, not Nation's Pride. So uh, Nation's Pride will be saved up for a primarily U.S. based campaign in 2023. And, Interesting. And so I, I wonder, that was what made me wonder a little bit about the fast ground conversation. I wonder yeah. if he feels like Nation's Pride is just a really firm turf horse. And, you know, next year there's nothing stopping anyone from having a, a you know, a campaign geared towards a Breeders' Cup at San Anita where, you know, you're going to get fast ground, no doubt about it. And, I mean, they could probably just dot their way through a lot of really good opportunities in America. I mean, you can envision Man of War, Manhattan, Sword Dancer, and uh, and Breeders' Cup Turf as, as the objectives for a horse like Nation's Pride, who I believe trained in, in America most of the summer. If I don't think he went back home. So, Yeah, he was here. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if Appleby is able to, to maintain that kind of presence and has his yard set up well enough to have horses over here, then... You know, I think we're going to continue to see this. I don't know. What is your beer status right now? That's a great question. I, and I was going to ask if you got any beer before you hit me with that news. I was going to ask if you were getting any type of beer vibes from uh, from Nation's Pride. I mean, he does seem like he's. Uh, it, it, it's it's sensible maybe to skip that tougher test in the sense that he doesn't seem quite as fast as your beer. Am I remembering that right? I mean, what did what did your beer? What figure did your beer get? last year when he ran in the USA before the before the Breeders' Cup. I felt like it was closer to 100, um, though I'm not... God, you know, the, I think he got a pretty fast fig, but that was also a pretty fast pace, if I remember correctly. I'm, I'm looking now to try and find it. I'm uh, seeing on the HRN site, got, by the way, that... If you've got a 94. Okay, so it is, you know, this actually faster than that even. Yabir is going to miss the race this year, though. You, okay. That's um, that's news that was just reported on Horse Racing, Horse Racing Nation a few years ago. Um, actually, and it comes from a report in Daily Racing form that uh, – that that he had a setback and he and it's not going to be it's not going to be him. It does make me want to take another look at Rebels Romance. There is a form line, a relevant form line through um, Articon, who was well held in this spot. Um, Articon in the previous race had been beaten by Rebels Romance, but I mean it just doesn't that doesn't tell us much one way or the other. He'd won the uh, the, the the group one in Germany going a mile and a half. I mean I think at this point. I mean, it's dangerous to do this, but at this point, I'm pretty much full on in Appleby. We trust in all these horses. Obviously, we'll handicap the races and we'll see if there's clever alternatives or something we can find for a reason to to bet against. But for a guy who just doesn't seem to make any of the wrong moves in terms of these decisions, let me put it this way. There's no way there won't be some Rebels romance on my tickets. Yeah, I agree. And I've actually just found on Odds Checker the Breeders' Cup turf which I mean, obviously they're you know they're they they have horses on here in some of these races that aren't likely to run, but they're trying to create a market. They have Luxembourg at five to one, 
Um, Desert Crown at six and a half. Yabir also at six and a half, obviously not knowing that he's not coming. Nation's Pride at seven. Rebels Romance is at 12. They have 15 horses listed. I mean, really, they have more than that. But of the top 15, uh, 14 of them are European-based. So, I mean, it's probably how the wagering should yeah, go. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds yeah, exactly yeah, right. Right. Given, I mean, there's some the way, yeah. Yeah. Given heavy the way hitters. Here. Yeah, very heavy hitters listed. One little trick with odds checker is, so that top screen you see when you go in there, that's just surfacing the best price on all available markets. And some of these are bookmakers where, you know, dodgy bookmakers where you might be lucky to get two pounds down. If you click on view all odds, and I'm not I'm not giving out any plugs here. I'll just say this. The bookmaker that's consistently the first one when you go to view all odds, those are the sharpest of that the yeah, they're the sharpest of the in of the anti-post odds. So I bet you when you go through there, they'll have your beer out and it'll be it'll be the closest to a a realistic um, line. They they actually seem to pay attention to the news more than that more makes than sense. Yeah. So for folks looking for a clue about these things, that's not a bad way to go. One more race I wanted to talk about with you at Aqueduct before we talk a little Churchill. The Pebbles Stakes, um, won by uh, Faith in Humanity. I thought this was an interesting race. I got the impression that it looked like whatever this means it looked like good form in that it seemed like for me a lot of the horses in behind race wasn't run to suit and visually and on the clock they finished up looked to me like they finished up really well and i wouldn't be surprised at all if this race produces several next out winners and uh, stop me if you've heard this one nick chad brown runs one two three in a graded stakes race in new york yeah, you know, I'm I'm still kind of mad at myself for for this race, but um, the so the the top two finishers and and two of three of the top five in here were coming out of the risk averse at Saratoga Run on Travers Week, and this race is a great example of why you have to to really focus on how races are run, not so much who finished where, and my point in all of that is that. Faith in Humanity had stalked the pace that day, and she got run down late by Gina Romantica. Faith in Humanity was now in a scenario when How Do You Make Your Money got scratched, where she was absolutely positively the lone speed. And there was no way anybody was going to get in her way. Really, it ended up being surprising that Amore was as close to her early as she was, because, I mean, it was very, very clear that Faith in Humanity was was loose. And what I'm mad at myself, I've singled Faith in Humanity in the pick five, and, and I was at, I was at a, ki- a kid's birthday party and I was about to just, to just empty my account on Faith in Humanity. And I thought, ah, you know, you got to pick fives. Let's just roll with it. And she wired and I wanted to break my phone, which, um, you know, is my own problem. But yeah, this was, a, this was just a very easy scenario where it was clear that she was going to be going to the lead. And the other horses, the horse in this race who took the majority of the money was Gina Romantica. I mean, Faith in Humanity was the second choice at 5.9 to 1. But uh, th- there was a clear, and Gina Romantica may have even been best in this race the way it unfolded, but it was very clear from a betting perspective, you were supposed to be betting Faith in Humanity. There was no question about it. Given what happened that day and the scenario this day, being results-oriented in this particular race hurt you significantly. That's excellent observations. You, you didn't need that 1380 anyway. I mean, hey, what, what, did you end up cashing in the pick five at least? I did, yeah, yeah. I had to pick five quite a few times, so it ended up working out okay. It was one of my better results, I think, in the nightcap. But, you know, it was super chalky, and there was one chalk that I had tried to at least give a little bit of help to was Othwok, 
in the uh, in the second leg. So I would have been much better off with the the anybody that finished, I think, second, second, fifth and sixth or something in there. But she was able to get the job done. And then the uh, Dr. Blute was a pretty heavy favorite, too. I would have definitely been better off with the second horse. But then I just kind of fed. I mean, it was a lot of one by three by two by one by three tickets. Um, so that fed into the nightcap, which worked out just fine. So. I really like the way you talk about it, though, even I mean, I think this is a winning attitude, even on a bet where you cashed and it worked out to to look back and say, you know what, I really made a mistake by not doing more with that Porsche who was 590 to one. I think that's I think that's a winning mentality that people should focus on. Yeah, I mean, I think, no, well, thank you. Um, I mean, I'll have plenty of losing mentality over time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I guess I passed the sniff test because I singled a five to one shot. Right. So that was what I was supposed to. I was not supposed to use anybody else defensively. And I can tell you that I did not have – I mean, I bet zero tickets with anybody else. I only used Faith and Humanity. And I, I mean, think you probably – yeah, I think the thing that, that maybe hurts the most is the – you know, Dr. Blute was a very sensible, very logical winner of the race before at $3.50. And, I mean, the, the Dr. Blute Faith and Humanity double pays $34.40 for two. So, like, that's kind of a lot. You know, that's that's kind of an annoying kind of an annoying result because we're talking about a parlay that's that's what, you know, barely in the twenty five dollar, twenty seven dollar range. So, yeah, I mean, I think you if you're taking an opinion like that and I think it's something that you have to evolve with over time, because I know that there were times in my betting career where I would have maybe tried to play Faith and Humanity in some exactas under Gina Romantica. And, and I realized at one point that I'm not, you know. I don't need to do stuff like that because I don't need to hedge. If I have an opinion on a horse like Faith in Humanity, then I'm going to, I need to really just back that up and go with it. You know, and I remind myself of, of the story that I think Toby Callett told me the story a long time ago that Andrew, Andy Byer was alive in a, to four horses in a multi-race bet at Tampa Bay Downs years ago. And let's just say they were the, you know, three, five, nine, and 10. And so he was alive in it for big scores. And, and one of the people in the press box said to him, Andy, are you going to hedge? And he said, no, I'm going to box the three, five, nine, ten. You know, <laughs> because like, why would you bet anybody else? Right. If right. you like that horse from the start, you're going to you need to stick with them right to the end. So, yeah, it, it's one of those where uh, the, it, it just goes to show you that the the betting in, in this game can be so devilish and can be so tricky. But, you know, here is a horse that. And this was probably the, the third or fourth time in the last few months in, in New York, especially where there's been a horse that I really liked that I thought, well, you know, everybody's going to figure it out. They're going to bet this horse down. But, you know, here was one that still went off that 5.9 to one, which to me was just a, a very, very juicy price. I think a lot of people made the mistake that I made, which was not really properly giving the attention to the way that the scratch changed the race in this in this spot and yeah i'll put up one little piggyback point about hedging hedging for me is i'll just make give a simple example of it let's say you're using the abc method of ticket construction and you get to the last leg and the the horses that you had on the c line are no longer alive because you had already one secondary horse come in in that instance i have zero problem with taking your key a we'll use faith and humanity as an example i have no problem playing exactas with those other horses that you liked at the sea level over faith in humanity in that spot, because that's a way you're really not betting very much. You're not. And the key thing is though, you're not going against your opinion, putting in hedge bets against your opinion out of fear is 
I mean, I can't think of when ever, when that would ever. I'm not somebody who usually deals in absolutes of these things, but you know, it, it'd be a very rare instance when that would be when that would be a good idea. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, the 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 buyer story is is perfect, and it, I think it illustrates that very well. When you're, you know, you don't you don't want to hedge against what your actual opinion is. And just one horse I'll mention, well, two horses. The both the, the Euro shippers are both horses out of this um, pebbles that I'll probably be looking to bet back based on the based on how fast they came home. And the more interesting one to me is the one who I think would be the bigger price next time, and that's Miss Carol Ann, who acted maybe a little bit ungenuine. There was a weird moment in the top of the stretch where it seemed like Jose was looking to pull her out for a run, and it almost seemed like she didn't want to come. She was, like, you know, hanging in a little bit. But once she got out and straightened out, I mean, she finished in sub-22 seconds. That's racehorse time. And I think it's just a very buried effort that if – and given the hands she's in, if they can figure out whatever it was that caught – maybe, you know, it could have been equipment, it could have been – something mentally with her, if they can get her, you know, a little bit willing to show that ability in a more straightforward way, that's a horse that could score at a very big price in a race down the line. And, you know, what, what, what do you figure these, a lot of these likely to, to go on to the, to the QE2? Um, well, I think now that Spenderella is not, yes, there's a very decent chance. I, I think Appleby mentioned with the moonlight for the QE2. I'm not positive. But makes sense. Yeah, I, I could definitely see Chad trying faith and humanity in there. I think having speed on an on an autumn turf course at Keeneland is very very dangerous. Not sure she's really dying for a mile and an eighth, but um, you know the easiest way to get there obviously would be on the front end. I could see Miss Carolan improving. One of my one of the ways I've always treated Graham Motion European shippers, and I think back to when he ran main sequence in the United Nations in 2014, and I was watching the the broadcast that day, and they interviewed him beforehand, and he said, I've had this horse since Christmas, and and it looked to me like having him at Fairhill, you know, getting him, Grand Motion being such an unbelievably shrewd and skilled horseman, having him there really probably brought this horse to a higher level than he could have gotten anywhere else. This was Miss Carolina's a horse that he basically just got. So yeah. my point being that I think she will get better being in Graham Motion's care as time goes by. She also had no setup whatsoever on Sunday. Yeah. So I mean she's yeah. gonna she's gonna get better by virtue of that as well. Um, so I, I could definitely see that Majestic Glory, the the uh, Todd Pletcher ship in um, didn't break well, and, and you know for a European horse, if you get yourself into that scenario in America, it's going to put you in a tough spot. So no surprise that she underperformed. I, I don't think she underperformed. I, no surprise she didn't finish a little bit better. Yeah, and and we'll we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens with all those. As far as the QB two goes, Moira still being listed among the probables. That would be interesting. What was the news I, about Spenderella? I missed that one. She had a little setback, nothing too serious, but they're going to freshen her and point her to a 2023 campaign. Okay, done. Wow. Okay, so no Breeders' Cup for uh, no Breeders' Cup for, for Spenderella. That's uh, slightly disappointing, but understandable. They're doing what's best for her, and I wonder if they'll think about another Ascot Tilt too next year. Um, yeah, more news to come on that one. I think that QE two could be a very interesting race where maybe just maybe at this point we can look to to find a price, maybe one of those from from deeper back in that field. Anything else you want to chat about on this edition of the show before I? Oh, we didn't do huh, we didn't do Churchill. I've kept you much longer than I said I was. We have to pause and go to the beginning of the 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 Kentucky Derby point season um, with uh, the Iroquois and Curly Jack. You know, this was a race on paper that looked a lot like a match race 
Um, it was run fast. Uh, coding was read to the mile on Timeform US. Curly Jack ends up taking advantage of the scenario, winning with a 78 buyer speed figure. Timeform had it a little bit faster. But, uh, you know, for me, no, I mean, I've, one takeaway was I, I was psyched to see uh, our pal uh, Haley Amos in the, in the winner's circle for a horse I know she was a big fan of. But it did seem like a race where, you know, uh, Curly Jack aside, it was a bit defined by Echo again and Damon's Mound not showing up as opposed to what, what the winner did. Um, but, you know, hey, we'll see. They're, they're two-year-olds and things uh, change very quickly, as we saw there on, on Saturday. What were your thoughts on the Iroquois? Yeah, you know, I, I can't I can't say enough about the difference between two year olds going seven, six and seven furlongs around one turn and them going a mile and a sixteenth around two turns. I mean, it is just a world of difference. And I know I got a lot of mud flung at me when I tried to to temper the enthusiasm about Echo again right after his debut. <laughs> and and I did so again on our show the, that Monday. And, and I think I referred to myself as the turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> but, you know, it was one of those things that was important. And, and you need to objectively analyze these races. And and so, you know, it, it reminded me of... And I, I texted a friend of mine afterwards, Stellar Tap 2.0, because Stellar Tap had been this super impressive debut winner at Churchill and, and at the Saratoga. And I made I made a ton of bets on that opening card of, with him in the Iroquois, singling him in the Iroquois. I, you know, I was I was so set up and, and he ran like crap. And um, and Echo again probably ran a little bit better, but not much. And so, it you know, you just wonder if maybe with these horses really geared for Saratoga and really ideally suited to being on the front end and, and going the seven furlongs, six or seven furlongs, whatever they do, you know, if they just can't duplicate their form that quickly. I mean, that said, it was, it was a disappointing effort from both Damon's mound and echo again. And the reason I say that too is because Jace's road was just off of them. And I mean, he'd beat him by eight lengths. So, yeah. and Jace's road was nine to two in there. He wasn't expected to be, one of the, you know, one of the principals, he was a, he was a sort of distant third choice. Um, you know, the second place finisher was 54 to one. So we talked a little bit here last week, I think about holding two-year-old route races against horses. And so you don't ever want to, but I mean, clearly it's a, I, I love that the, the point series has started already. We're a long way from the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> and, and I saw a lot of people say, oh, you know, Curly Jack will be the horse that takes an insane amount of money in next year's Derby because of his name. I just want to remind everybody, everybody <laughs> is going to take an insane amount of money in next year's Kentucky Derby. There's not going to be a long shot. So it's, right. it's going to be the biggest price is going to be 25 to one. I think we're going to have 20 <laughs> horses between eight to one and 25 to one. Right? So nobody wants to miss out, but um yeah, I mean, it, congratulations to to the connections of Curly Jack. Obviously, Tom Mamis is very easy to root for, but um, this was a this was an underwhelming effort from Echo again, who really also Pete was sort of disgustingly overbet. I mean, three to five, three to five, even in the face of a horse like Damon's Mound was silly, and and obviously he underperformed um, in a variety of ways. No doubt, just look look to be making the winning move went out like a light. I feel better about it seeing the pace. I mean, it just just seems to me like a pretty obvious um, cutback type of a horse. Now, granted, that, that doesn't uh, particularly help you when it comes to the to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Honed was a horse I thought it was worth mentioning. That fifty four to one shot that you mentioned um, for McPeak. This is a horse that uh, looked to me. Just watching the run through, I mean, yeah, flattered certainly by the pace setup, but it also looked like a horse that that you know maybe had some obvious improving to do. Um, 
just because it didn't you know look look fairly green in taking advantage of the setup. I mean, look, maybe this is a case of there are no trips in in slow races, and I'm trying to make too much of it. But it looked like a horse that might continue to be under the radar, and maybe I'd want to keep on side later. What did you think of him? What do you think in general of this race potentially having any implications for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile? I mean, I think he definitely improved off his 38 buyer speed figure in his debut, uh, <laughs> which I, I think I think everybody in there has. I think that's a figure that probably needs to be adjusted, although Anglophile won on the turf. But, um, y- you know, I would imagine, well, I mean, it's Kenny McPeak. Hone could run twice more. So <laughs> I would imagine he'll run the British Futurity, and, and we'll see a little bit more about him in there. You know, Kenny McPeak seems to opposite of a lot of these guys that can have really fast front running type two-year-olds McPeak's horses are going to get better when the distances increase so you know I I don't I wouldn't be surprised if this is a horse that could clunk up for you know for a little bit of a piece honestly I'd be willing to bet Jace's road back in um in the breeder security if he runs again I don't know I like that call best of speed against those two market leaders I mean that's that's actually pretty impressive yeah, and, and six to eight and a half distance wise is is a that's a big ask. Um, his debut race has not totally fallen on its face in terms of, of how the speed figures came back. Most of the the dirt runbacks, well, really now the three dirt runbacks are all um, improved or matched. So yeah, I think he's an interesting horse, and I think he'll benefit tremendously from having that route experience. I know that uh, Michelle Lovell was kind of making some some somewhat viable excuses for Damon's mound. She thought he was a little keyed up. Um, my concern with him is that I think he probably wants to go shorter. I think Echo again probably wants to go shorter as well. I think the mistake with Echo again was assuming that he was a route horse because he's a half to pneumatic and, and it, the rest of the family is pretty sprinty. So, you know, not every gun runner is going to be a classic distance horse. Right. And that's one of the things that we have to embrace, even as, as much of a super stallion as he's been in these first couple crops. So this just might be a horse that's a little bit better sprinting. Same with his stablemate, Grand Love, who lost the Pocahontas as the favorite. So, you know, there's there's reason to sort of reassess where these horses are. It's also worth talking about, Pete, that and even if we don't go in depth on the Pocahontas, that there are a lot of horses for Steve Asmussen that have run really, really, really well at Saratoga especially two-year-olds, and they've really never run that well anywhere else, right? It's interesting. His barn is very, very geared towards Saratoga right now. And, I mean, he went went 0 for 80 or something, not 0 for 80, but like 0 for 40 at Keeneland last year in large part because those horses were so geared up for Saratoga. And, And, you know, it's hard to keep them going for so many races over and over. It's interesting, and we did see the two. Um, well, one was odds on that we just talked about, and then the other, Grand Love, even money. You know, for an even money shot, you're, you you want to do wasn't a bad run exactly, but you want to do better than want to do better than third. And McPeak also um, to continue the theme of trainers we've been talking about in the show who are going to be on this podcast soon. Um, Fun and feisty, the one who got it done there at at six to one, coming from way back and uh, winning. Winning rather easily. This is a super interesting example of the picture that the Timeform US figures paint that's so different than what you just get from a from a traditional figure with the way they, they use the way the race was run to, to affect the pay the, the use that pace element of the algorithm to affect their ability numbers that they give their form basically it's a form figure is what I, is how I, I, it's somewhere between an ability figure and a form figure that they give as opposed to their raw figure. Because when you look at fun and feisty 97 raw figure, 
which equates to like, you know, roughly a 77 buyer and unadjusted on the line, got a very efficient run through. And then funny enough, Grand Love and Shoplifter, who were five and seven points behind in the raw, they get upgraded for being part of that pace to where they, they come out all within two points of each other. Fun and Feisty, 97, Shoplifter, 95, Grand Love, 96. I just think it's an interesting way to look at the world when we look back at a race like uh, like the Pocahontas. And the buyer came back 75, another one not, you know, not world-beating stuff. What did you think of this form? Yeah, I mean, again, don't want to hold first-time routes against a lot of these horses. I thought Grand Love ran better than, obviously ran better than Echo again, Um you know, this is a race where the buyer speed figure has often been in the 70s, low 80s, that kind of range. So it's not a it's not a strikingly bad performance by any means. I, I think that we're going to expect to see these horses run better if they run back in the uh, the Alcibiades <clears throat> or elsewhere. I mean, Alcibiades would seem to be the most likely. And I think this gives them three weeks to do that. You know, these races are tricky because the Iroquois and Pocahontas have not really always been terribly influential as far as the Breeders' Cup goes, because a lot of times I think these horses are giving up experience to some of the horses that they're running against in the Breeders' Cup, because, I mean, they're all going to be, a lot of them are going to be off until then. So it's not, you know, not always the greatest approach. I mean, I know the Serengeti Empress won the, the Pocahontas by a million lengths in 2018, and then obviously didn't come back with uh, with the same kind of performance in the Breeders' Cup. And, Looking at the Iroquois, we're talking about Major General didn't run back. Sitting on go uh, was ineffective in the Breeders' Cup. Dennis's moment obviously had something go wrong. The other winners of these races since it's been moved up are Cairo Cat, the Tabulator, and Not This Time. So, you know, Not This Time being the only horse that really ran well in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, finishing second to Classic Empire. I guess my point with all of it is that I'd like to see a lot of them run back again. Because if they yeah. get another opportunity around two turns, I think it's going to give us not only a much better chance at evaluating what they are, but um, it'll give them more of the foundation that they need in order to win. Feels like McPeak, the one more likely to take that route with uh, with Honed. And and I'm just basing this on nothing other than just what we what we see from them typically and and fun and feisty than uh, than some of these uh, than some of these others. But we'll see. We'll have a chance also to uh, to to speak with some of these traders. Actually, by the time people have heard this, they're going to have already heard my conversation with with Brad Cox that we're going to lead off the show with. I'll, I'll definitely want to ask him. I'll add uh, a question about uh, about Jace's road to that to that interview. All right, Nick, we are out of time, but really appreciate your your efforts on here. Always fun looking back at these races with you, and we're going to be doing a lot more of it before we get to the Breeders' Cup. Have a great week, and we'll talk at the end of the week. Sounds great, my friend. Talk soon. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'd like to thank Nick Tamaro and Brad Cox for joining us today. Also, our friends at the Betmakers, Adelphi Racing, and Caesars for helping to sponsor this show. Always fun to work with uh, partners new and old on these airwaves. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing. Love to root for the purple and black around here. And, of course, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. If you're going to be at the Breeders' Cup, come join us Friday night for the little TRF party that we're having out at the Griffin Gate Marriott. Details over at trfinc.org slash players. Most of all, want to thank all of you for listening and making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos!